Welcome to Fast Company Digest, essential stories from tech, design, impact, and work life, narrated by Noah App. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor and host of the New Way We Work podcast, Kathleen Davis. Here are this week's stories. First up, staff writer Pavithra Mohan interviews legal experts about the impact of the Supreme Court's affirmative action ruling on workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And next, you'll hear about a startup that's working to help countries and businesses manage climate change-related challenges by using artificial intelligence and machine learning to provide more precise weather forecasts. Narrated by Noah. Listen to more of the world's best journalism on the NOAA app or at newsoveraudio.com. For NOAA, this is Adrian Walker reading from Fast Company. On the 7th of July, 2023, Pavitra Mohan writes, How DEI work will actually be affected by the affirmative action ruling, according to experts. Since the Supreme Court's landmark ruling on affirmative action in late June, Many observers have sounded the alarm on how it might shake up the corporate world and derail hard-won initiatives that address diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. The decision, which centered on the admissions programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina, effectively gutted race-based admissions in higher education, a major departure from decades of precedent that some legal experts say could set the stage for attacks on corporate DEI programs. The sense is that rationale is going to move back into the workplace world of affirmative action, says Stephen Paskoff, a former EEOC attorney and employment lawyer who now runs the training company Eli. This is a signal that certain types of decision-making are not going to be accepted as legal, whether they're violations in education or in the workplace. But from a legal perspective, the ruling itself, which invokes the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, doesn't impact private employers who are governed by Title VII, which bars employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. The court's decision shouldn't prevent companies from carrying on with their DEI work, which has always been distinct from affirmative action in higher education. With limited exceptions, employers are not allowed to use race as a plus factor in making employment decisions in the ways that colleges and universities have been using it to make admissions decisions, says Joelle Emerson, the co-founder and CEO of Paradigm, a diversity and inclusion strategy firm. So there was already a big difference in what employers can do. Instead, companies have used other strategies to address their diversity issues, many of which are now considered basic tenets of corporate DEI programs. In recent years, however, as the momentum from George Floyd's death faded and companies faced economic headwinds, corporate interest in DEI has been on the decline, which means the companies that remain committed to DEI work have already proven more resistant to those existential challenges. And while employers have long been cautious about the language they use in DEI programming, Due to both legal concerns and mounting attacks on diversity initiatives, they are still protected by Title VII. You can't ban equity and inclusion, because equity and inclusion are embedded in Title VII, says Alvin Tillery, a professor at Northwestern University, who runs a consulting firm that advises businesses on their DEI practices. Still, despite all that, diversity experts have legitimate concerns 
that the ruling might have a chilling effect that influences corporate commitments to DEI. It comes at a moment when conservative activists and politicians are stoking outrage over ESG and DEI programs, with states like Florida introducing legislation to undermine efforts in the public sector. Even the term DEI has become loaded. The driving forces behind the affirmative action ruling also echo a more sweeping backlash to equity and inclusion policies and systemic change, which has already touched the corporate world. Organizations are starting to look at those systemic changes and question the ways in which their systems had functioned in the past, says Katina Sawyer, a professor at the University of Arizona who studies DEI. What I'm seeing as those conversations started bubbling up is reactivity. One of the reasons I think reactivity is happening, both at the societal level and in organizations, is because equity fundamentally means that things need to change in a real way. From a legal standpoint, it's also true that companies are always concerned with potential liability in response to changes in the law or court decisions. In the interest of reducing their exposure to legal action, Emerson says, they have a tendency to overcorrect, as many of them did when Trump issued an executive order in 2020 that targeted diversity trainings. Anytime there's a new law that's passed, the legal team has to review it, Emerson says. That slows things down pretty dramatically. When Trump signed that executive order, we saw organizations stop all training, even trainings that had nothing to do with the specific content at issue. The greatest fallout from the ruling across the corporate sphere may be the heightened risk of litigation. This case will energize and motivate people to file more reverse discrimination-type lawsuits against organizations. Emerson says, pointing to a recent lawsuit against Starbucks brought by a white employee who was awarded nearly $26 million. Many companies, both in the tech industry and beyond, have embraced DEI programs and frequently reiterate their commitment to the work, often with little to show for it. But those employers may still find themselves fending off legal attacks fueled by the affirmative action ruling, according to Tillery. This now gives every person in those organizations with some sort of grievance a seemingly more legitimate basis to challenge them, he says. If you're an organization that has concerns about being sued, you may change your efforts in some ways. Companies could also end up on the receiving end of threat letters from right-wing groups that want to snuff out corporate DEI programs. But it's not clear that pulling back on those initiatives is the right approach to shield themselves from legal action. The court's decision on affirmative action may reflect the interests of the broader conservative movement, but Tillery points out that the new precedent set by the ruling could also invite a flurry of discrimination lawsuits from underrepresented workers. If I'm a company that's running a DEI program and I'm falling short of my goals, I'm now thinking, every time a person of color doesn't get a job in a hiring situation, could they now say it's discriminatory? He says. So this just creates a very low bar. Not being picked is now tantamount to discrimination. In fact, activist groups are already suing Harvard over the practice of legacy admissions, arguing it largely benefits white students. From that angle, employers may not take this as an invitation to quietly shelve their DEI programs. Some of them might actually shore up their efforts, but with a greater emphasis on the protections outlined by Title VII which Tillery is already encouraging employers to use as a framing for their DEI work. 
This ruling will also have a notable impact on talent pipelines, which a number of major tech companies already noted in an amicus brief in 2020. The chair of the EEOC mirrored this sentiment in a statement in late June, also adding that it remains lawful for employers to implement diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility programs that seek to ensure workers of all backgrounds are afforded equal opportunity in the workplace. That's all the more reason for companies to actually invest further in diversity initiatives across recruitment, Emerson says, particularly with respect to hiring from non-traditional pathways. Organizations that have been investing in building a diverse workforce are going to have to figure out a whole new host of strategies, she says, because colleges and universities are going to become a lot less diverse. In that sense, the affirmative action decision offers an opportunity for employers to actually double down on DEI, and plenty of companies have already indicated that they don't intend to stray from their corporate commitments, at least for now. I see some reactions that I've been surprised by, Emerson says. A lot of organizations that we work with are sending explicit messages about this ruling and how they disagree with it. I think, like many things in the DEI space, this is going to create a line that differentiates companies that are truly committed from those that aren't. It's sort of a Rorschach test for your actual commitment to DEI. You were listening to Fast Company, where Pavritha Mohan writes, How DEI work will actually be affected by the affirmative action ruling, according to experts. This article was published on the 7th of July, 2023, and was read by Adrian Walker. For Noah, this is Adrian Walker reading from Fast Company, where on the 9th of July, 2023, Megan Maroney writes, Weather forecasts are broken. This startup is going to space to fix them. As heat waves scorch the American South and wildfire smoke blankets both coasts, it's hard not to think or talk about the weather. Weather events are simply becoming more volatile and extreme and more frequent, says Shimon Alkabetz, founder of climate tech company Tomorrow.io. And if we don't start managing this risk and put systems in place, it's going to get out of control. Tomorrow.io is trying to help countries and businesses manage climate change-related challenges by rewriting the rules of weather forecasting. Through artificial intelligence and machine learning, the company provides precise forecasts tailored to specific locations, working with such industries as aviation, logistics, agriculture, and renewable energy to optimize operations and mitigate weather-related risks. Alkabetz became familiar with the importance of weather predictions through his military background as an aviator. We learned firsthand the limitations of weather technology, Alkabetz says. The accuracy wasn't good. During his time in the Israeli Air Force, Alkabetz learned that traditional meteorological decision-making was inadequate for the challenges he faced. But we never imagined that we were going to start a company around it, he admits. After moving to Boston and completing his education at Harvard, Alkabetz teamed up with co-founders Ray Gopher and Itai Zlotnik, who attended MIT, to conduct extensive research and made three crucial observations that showed that the industry was ripe for disruption. First, weather technology was predominantly controlled by government agencies, presenting a unique opportunity for privatization. Second, enterprises rely on meteorologists from legacy companies, 
signaling the need for digital transformation to provide scalable decision-making support. Lastly, they recognized an absence of companies focused on improving weather technology. They saw climate change intensifying weather events and understood the urgency of climate adaptation. In 2016, Alkabetz, Gopher, and Zlotnik founded the company, originally called Climacell, and secured initial funding, driven by a mission to address the critical gaps in weather technology and climate adaptation. The importance of understanding and anticipating the future weather has never been more dire. Climate security, Alkabetz tells Fast Company, is the new cybersecurity. Alkabetz believes that the key to solving the climate crisis is climate resilience, powered by weather intelligence. And that, Alkabetz says, is why Tomorrow.io has gone to space. In April 2023, Tomorrow.io successfully launched the Tomorrow R1, what the company calls the world's first commercially built weather radar satellite. It's currently in orbit at 500 kilometers, about 310 miles, above Earth, carrying radar designed for near real-time scans of precipitation and atmospheric profiles for any point on Earth. In June, the company announced the launch of its R2 satellite, which is also currently in orbit. It didn't come cheap. Activate Capital led the company's successful $87 million Series E funding, joined by new investors RTX Ventures, Seraphim, and Shamonix, along with existing investors, including Square Peg Capital, Canaan, Clear Vision, JetBlue Ventures, and Potango Growth. Dan Slagan, Tomorrow.io's chief marketing officer, calls the company the SpaceX of weather because, as a commercial company, it can send satellites into space faster and more efficiently than the government can. In fact, Tomorrow R1 and R2 both launched on a SpaceX Falcon 9. Luke Peffers agrees. He should know. He worked for the government for years before becoming Tomorrow.io's chief weather officer. His time in active duty in the Air Force, helping operate and maintain the U.S. Atomic Energy Detection System, taught him a thing or two about the pace of government innovation versus private innovation. Peffers says that Tomorrow.io uses models similar to what the government uses, but that the company works in a way that the government is jealous of. A big part of that, according to Peffers, is that the technology is platform agnostic. So we can bop around and follow technologies on the compute platform. These models, he says, are highly computationally expensive to run. Tomorrow.io's goal is to be nimble enough to follow deals. So you run the models fast enough, but in an inexpensive way. In addition to the satellites, Tomorrow.io has apps for businesses and individuals, and there's even a ChatGPT plugin that uses Tomorrow.io data and generative AI to predict the weather. But for Alkabets, it's the potential to mitigate climate change and possibly work to lessen climate inequality that inspires him. In the seven years since founding the company, he says that his perspective has changed. He has three kids and a lot of gray hair. Now the CEO takes a more holistic view, as the experience of raising children has deepened his commitment to Tomorrow.io's mission. I'm more proud of what I'm doing, says Alkabetz. Because not seeing your kids because of work comes with a lot of bad feelings and FOMO. 
at least I tell myself, that I'm doing something that my kids will be proud of when they grow up and learn exactly the impact of what my company is doing. You are listening to Fast Company, where Megan Maroney writes, Weather forecasts are broken. This startup is going to space to fix them. This article was published on the 9th of July, 2023, and was read by Adrian Walker for NOAA. The article you just listened to was narrated by the team at NOAA. Continue listening to more great journalism on the NOAA app or by visiting newsoveraudio.com.